Welcome to the RSCC podcast. Thanks for joining us today. My name's Adam and I'm on staff here at RSCC. Here at RSCC, we believe that you matter and that God loves you so much. If you want to know more about RSCC or to keep up with what's going on, follow us on social media at RSCC Family or visit our website at rsccfamily.org. We would love to connect with you. I hope you enjoy the message today. Boy, it's great to be here together with you guys today. Um, my, my name's Andy. Uh, a lot of you know me. You remember me. I was 27 years old when I began my ministry here. I was here for 13 years back in the golden years. Uh, a lot of you don't know me, and that's a great thing. Uh, because I hope there's been a lot of things happening in the last 25 years since I've been here. There's been a lot happening in my life. Uh, I saw some of you ahead of time. Some of you recognized me. Some of you didn't. I'm older. I'm fatter. Um, but so are you. So I'm okay with that, and uh, that, that's totally fine. I, I, I'm excited to be back here. Uh, I, I've Spent a lot of time in ministry. I was a, a minister for 30 years. The last 10 years, I've been working with Lifeline Christian Mission. I'm traveling all over the world. Uh, basically, I'm a leadership coach. Uh, they have they have uh, churches and schools and clinics all throughout the developing world. And nine, I've traveled to nine different countries. Uh, I travel about a week a month uh, internationally. Uh, I'm a leadership coach, and I disciple and develop uh, uh, leaders. I have about 200 churches and leaders that I work with directly, and um, it's, it's my calling in life. It's what God's really made me to do, and, and I really have enjoyed that and, and that experience, and that's what I do. I don't get a chance to, to preach as much as I used to, and that's a good thing, I think. Uh, I'm more of a teacher now. I, I spend a lot more time just one-on-one with people. Uh, typically, I have an, a translator with me that's trying to help me through the whole journey, and, uh, uh, but, but they don't care if I talk for two hours or 10 hours. They don't care, so... Uh, get over it. I just want to tell you that right now. So that's just kind of the, the way it, it is with me. Um, but I, I'm thrilled to be here, to be back here. And I just want to say thank you again to, to you guys uh, that know me and were a part of me. I was a young kid when I came here, just kind of figuring out who I was as a man and as a leader, and as a father. And you loved me. And, and sometimes that was harder than others. But you loved me. And uh, I will never, ever forget that. I will never, ever uh, forget you and what you've invested in my life. And I hope that my ministry and my life is uh, a part of what you see as the fruit of your life in your ministry because I am a product of what you've done to me. So when Mike called and said, hey, come here, I said, yes, I would love to do that and talk to you. He said, come a bunch because we don't have anybody to preach for us right now. We're trying to figure that whole thing out. And, and I said, no, no, I, I can't do all that, but I, will, I would love to be here and be a part of that. So uh, I'm glad to be here for you today. My wife, Mindy's not here this service. She'll be here uh, second service. She couldn't listen to me twice, um, but she will be here for some of you looking for her. Uh, she will definitely be here so you can get a chance to check in with her. Uh, I got a simple question for you today, and, and, and that is this. What does God think about you? What does God think about you? 
Now, that's not what you expect here when you come to church. A lot of times you're expecting or thinking, well, what do we think about God, right? Do I believe in God? Am I willing to follow God and the things that he's doing? That's what we spend most of our time in churches kind of working around. That, that's not what I'm talking about today. What does God think about you? You say, well, I already know that answer. I mean, we hear that in church all the time, right? God loves us. You know, he, the whole story of the Bible is he died for our sins and, and to, to take care of us. He is our heavenly father. And, and yes, that's all true. And, and I think that's, that's the message of what the Bible says. But I can tell you, I'm a father of three kids. And when they were teenagers, there were times I was ready to strangle them. you right. You know that. You've been there. Is that what God thinks of me? Um, the Bible has a lot of stories in it. There's the great story of the cross, but there's also stories of the flood or the, 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 where the whole world was destroyed because they weren't getting their act together. Or, or the stories of Ananias and Sapphira who came to church and were struck dead. Okay, that's a bad sign for, for church attendance, isn't it? Is that what God thinks about us? We all have our little guilty secrets too, right? We got those things within us that uh, we're silently afraid that somebody's going to figure it out, but then we know, well, God knows everything, so he knows my little secret. Does that what God thinks about me? See, that, that's a, a troubling question for us to, to try to figure out is how do we really know what God thinks about us? Or how do we know what God really thinks about us. Maybe that's a better way to say it. Not, not the church-coded version, not, not the thing that wants to make us feel good, but what's, what's the truth about that? And we look at a lot of different things to try to figure that. Sometimes it's just our feelings. How do I feel about it? Do I feel like God loves me? But we all know that you can't trust your feelings. And the truth is, man, we're full of doubts about God and our feelings and all these things. And so how, how do you really base it on that? More often than not, we base it on our circumstances, right? If we got the big income, we got a nice house, we, we got a few cars, if our family's all together and things are kind of going smoothly like that, we say, oh, my life is blessed. I've been blessed by God. And so people, we look at people whose life is more blessed than ours, and, and we, we, we get that comparison thing going on, and we think, oh, well, God loves them a little bit more than he loves me. He must, because look at the things that are going on with them. Well, now, in, in our recent history, uh, COVID came along, which COVID was two years of garbage, right? Two years of garbage, not for some people, for everybody, Two years of garbage, and then COVID, I guess it's over or whatever. I don't know when we know that, but it's all, we get through that, and what happens? Well, then we get an economic crisis, and we all struggling to figure out how to pay for gas and get this here or there or whatever's going on, and, and we're beginning to say, well, what, now what's going on here? Do, 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 is, is God paying attention to my world? Does he even care? about what's going on with me? All of us here know somebody that was lost during COVID. Did, did God love them less? Did God care less about them? I don't think our circumstances 
can be part of what we say. You look at Hurricane Ian down in, in Florida and the terrible devastation of these people who were living blessed lives. Is that an act of God in their life? These are big questions. As I said before, I work in the developing world. Most of the people that I work with are living in abject poverty. And so they look at my life and say, oh, you're the blessed one. And I am. We are, for sure. But I talk to them and try to ask them the same question as they begin to work through this thing. And they've got stuck in their mind this concept that, well, we'll, we'll never be blessed. We'll never have what you have. God's, God doesn't look at me like he looks at you. And, and there's this, this troubling kind of dichotomy in their mind that goes on with the way they view themselves in poverty. And it all revolves around this concept of our self-image. Self-image, our self-image is usually based around uh, our feelings or our circumstances. And there's a problem when our self-image gets a little too high or too low, but that's a part of all of us. But what we really need to know is our God image. What does God think? In the Bible, it's, in Genesis, it says God created man and woman in his image. Well, that's an interesting thing. He created us in his image. And so what that means is that we don't need to create an image. We don't need to project some kind of image like some social media influencer who photoshops everything or shows us all their best moments. That's not what we have to do to project the image of God. No, most of us feel inadequate when we hear this, but we are the image of God. We are the image of God everywhere we go to everyone who looks at us. Your feelings are are, are what your self-image is, but we're pretty sure we don't measure up But God says, no, you are my image. In the Old Testament, um, God, the whole Old Testament is really built around this idea that God was trying to get a a relationship with his people and try to introduce himself to the world. And so what he did was he created this law. If you've read through the Old Testament, the the law is this complex uh, set of, of rules and festivals and sacrifices and all this kind of stuff that helped us somehow to understand and introduce God to us. And, and if you tried to read it, to be honest with you, it's very confusing and oftentimes boring because there's all these different things and you can't keep track of it at all. And it's almost as if God knew that we would get lost in this. He knew that the people of it, the children of Israel would get lost in it. And so he said, I'll tell you what I'll do. Uh, I'll boil it down and give you a top 10 list. The 10 commandments, right? He said, here's the 10, 10 commandments, and I'm gonna tell you, this, this is really, if you wanna get to know me and understand me, if you wanna see how you measure up with me, here are ten, the top 10 list of things that, that will help you do that. And so he wrote it in stone, as if to say, hey, you know what? This is this not under debate. Uh, this is not something that uh, you're going to lose, you know. It's a tablet of stone. Do you just lose it? No, it's going to stay there, and, and, it's, and it's not going to change, right? This is what God uses to measure us. 
And you may remember them. Let me just remind you. Here, here are the Ten Commandments. The first one was there's not going to be any other gods. You've got you to choose one god, and that's him. The second is no, no idols or, or graven images, it says. Can't do that. The second is don't misuse the name of God. Our third is don't misuse the name of God. The fourth, remember the Sabbath. The fifth, honor your father and mother. Sixth, don't murder. Seventh, don't, don't commit adultery. Eighth, don't steal. Ninth, don't lie. Tenth, don't covet. You've heard those before, right? That's, that's pretty regular. It's pretty much set into our, and, and it's, it's still cast in stone. It's still real. It's still here for us today. And so here, here's my question. Uh, what, what God was doing with this was trying to give us a picture of uh, our measuring stick of what God wanted from us. So here's my question. How, how did you do? I, I know you're keeping score. We all keep scores. You know, little kids' soccer games, they don't keep score anymore. We all keep score, right? We all keep score. And so you were keeping score as I was listening to those 10 things. How, how'd you do? I'm not going to ask you to turn to your neighbor or do anything like that because that would be too embarrassing. But I'll, I'll be transparent with you, all right? I'll, I'll tell you. I, I look at that score and I think I'm a good, a solid three out of ten. Yeah, I, I, you know, that doesn't sound very good. You know, it's not very encouraging. It's not very easy for me to stand in front of you and say that. But I'm, I'm a solid, a solid three out of a ten. Now, it's not going to pass in anybody's classroom anywhere out there, but I'm a good three out of ten. I have never murdered anybody. I have never bowed down to an idol. And the third one's none of your business. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I'm transparent, but I'm not stupid, right? Now, I'm not sure what your score is there, but my guess is you're not a whole lot better than me. Are you? Probably not. That's just the way that it is. And it confirms our, our worst fears. Our worst fears is that I, I can't live up to God's measure. I am not what God wants me to be. And that creates a self-image that says, oh man, what does God think about me? Right? Three out of 10. What does God think about me? One of the, that really catches me here is the idols one. I mean, not bowing down. To, I mean, God, that's almost like a freebie, you know, like that free space in bingo that everybody gets one of those, right? He put that one in and, oh, I, I haven't bowed down to any. I feel good about that one. And I think to myself, why is that even in there? I mean, seriously. I mean, why is that even in there? <laughs> it's, it's, does anyone do that anymore? Well, the answer is yes. Um, I, I travel to Cuba about two times every year, and uh, Cuba is a very different culture and a very different church kind of experience because uh, they haven't had the Western influence that, that many of the other countries have had. And, and in Cuba, they, they said to me, Andy, one, one of the hardest things for us when people come to Jesus, you know, just teaching them about Jesus is hard enough, but when they come to Jesus, we have to ask them to give up their idols, and they don't want to do it. And I said, Idols? Have idols? I said, oh, yeah. We've got idols. i got a picture of that. Uh, oh, you can see it. I, I'm not seeing that on the screen up here. Um, the idols, uh, this is a picture of the, the idols that they, they have. Now, you can see kind of the Catholic influence of that. I love the, the one from the back, the little American Indian. See them back there? And this little wolf or whatever it is, or these dogs up in front. You know, I, I'm thinking, that's my grandma's shelf, right? She had all of those things. She, she was an idol worshiper. They're, they're just little trinkets. 
But, but what they are really is just like good luck charms, patronage saints kind of thing, that kind of stuff where the people say, I'm not going to hedge, I'm going to hedge my pets here. I want to make sure I'm covering all the bases. And so, you know, this one helps them to protect them, or this one might uh, give them good luck, or this one might bless their family. And so they collect these idols and they keep them. And they say, I, I like this Jesus thing, but I'm not sure that I want to give up on that. And that's exactly what God was talking about. No, no, you, can, you can't do that. There's only one image that I want you to see. It's my image. I'm the only God. So you can't be bowing down to these other images. And I first saw that and I said, man, that is so I took this picture because I thought this is just in a little market right down the street from our, our uh, guest house. And, and I saw them there and I said, are these idols? They said, yeah, these are idols. They just sell them, you know, to the market just like they would anything else. And, and I, I thought, man, that's so different from our culture. No, it isn't. It's not really that unusual. Because here's the thing. We all need something tangible to, to remind us or to, to, to ignite our, and bolster our faith. We all need that. We need something to hold on to. Something to see. Something that's tangible out there. And idols fill that need in some kind of way. We know, we know they're just trinkets, but they fill that need to bolster our faith. I think the reason that the idols made God's top 10 list of commandments is that we are supposed to be his image, not idols. God didn't want these trinkets these stupid things, these worthless things to get exposed and shown as an image of him when he's got us. God's not against lucky charms. He's not against figurines that go on your mantle. God says, no, you are the image that I've created. It's what you and I were created to be and to do. It's to be the image of God. And any other idol in our life is going to deflect the attention away from what God is doing in your life. So God says, no, we're not going to have that. All right, let's take a pause here because you're saying, what in the world are you talking about, Andy? All right, we are halfway through the sermon. You haven't even gotten your Bible out yet, right? What, what are we talking about? I'm talking about you and what God thinks about you. You are the image of God. And I'm gonna spend the rest of the time we got here looking at three, three passages. I just wanna look at these three passages. That's all we're gonna do. We're gonna be done, all right? So grab your Bible. and I want to look at these three passages because I'm gonna show you in the Bible exactly what God thinks about you, all right? First passage is in uh, uh, first, Second Corinthians chapter three, verse 10. They're all gonna be, uh, first, sorry, 18. Uh, they're all gonna be on the screen here. If you can't see them, look in here and you can follow along with me. He, he, here's what it says. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Hmm. Now, let's look at that. The, the first thing that I really love about this is what it says. 
we all reflect his glory. It's not based on your income. It's not based on your opportunities. It's not based on your feelings or circumstances. It's not based on your success or your failure. It's not based on whether you accept the role of being an image of God or not. No, it's not reserved for a few special people or pastors who stand up on a stage. Nope, that's not it. We all reflect the glory of God. That's what the Bible says. All of us. His image is in us from the very beginning. But look what it says. It is being, we are being transformed into his likeness. Oh, see, we're not done yet. We're a work in progress. And God is in this work, and the work and the image that he wants to show is what he can do with broken people and what he can make with lives that aren't put together or aren't polished but are just given over to him. And God says, I'm going to transform you into my likeness, into my image. It says earlier there that sometimes it's veiled. The, the, the full image of God is veiled in us. Can't see it all. It's kind of hidden. It, it's, there. It's, it's in there, but we all kind of veil that with our sin and the things that we got going on in our lives. And God says, I'm going to take that and bring out that image if you just let me to have that within their life. God is working on you. You don't do it. Okay, this is not, oh, that's the homework I gotta do. I gotta go home and be like Jesus. No, God will do that in you when you allow him to do his work in you. It comes from the Lord, he says. It doesn't come from us. Relax. Relax. We are too hard on ourselves. And we are way too critical on other people who aren't finished yet. We're not finished yet. We're veiled. Okay, that's who we are. We gotta let God do the work that he wants to do in us. And here's the best part. So all the way back in the beginning, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Ah, see, this sets us free. No pressure, no guilt, no, no, none of that. And even when you doubt, even when you don't represent God well with your life, the Holy Spirit is at work in you. It's there. I'm not saying this. That's what the Bible says, right? That's what the Bible says God thinks about you. Okay, here's the second passage, Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in, adv in advance for us to do. Now, the, the, my, the, the, the key word there in this one is workmanship. We are God's workmanship. Now, the translation of that, the actual literal translation is we are a piece of work. I'm not sure that's a good translation <laughs> in, in our culture today. You know, I've had a lot of people over there saying, you're a piece of work. And I don't think they're being kind. I don't think so. Um, it may have been true. And the Bible says it is true. I'm a piece of work. But the, the more literal, or I think that the accurate translation for us today is we are God's masterpiece. We are, are the, the artist that puts together all his works and this is the one. Oh, man, this is my masterpiece. 
And that's what Paul's saying to the Ephesians. We are God's masterpiece. And we marvel at God's creation. I, I was driving in this morning. Well, I mean, what a beautiful weekend this is. I'm driving in through Aurora's. The sun's coming up. The leaves are right in color. The sun's coming up. The, the sky was as colorful as the, the leaves and reflecting on the river. And I said, oh, come on. This is beautiful. We marvel at God's creation. We marvel at, at God's power and the mighty things that he does. And, and Paul says, no, you are the masterpiece. Me, I'm three out of 10. Three out of 10. You're the masterpiece. We're the masterpiece of God. You know how they, they decide, uh, figure out counterfeits? You know how, how they, they learn to do that, especially in the art world, when they're looking whether something is a, a print, you know, that's been made, a bunch of them, and the true masterpiece? Well, you'd think, well, they'd look for, for, for the, you know, the things that just set it apart. They, they do. You know what they look for? Imperfections. You see, if you've got a print, they're all the same. Boom, boom, boom. They're all the same, exactly the same, exactly the same. The masterpiece has imperfections. It has little things that are just different and distinct that make it, oh, this is not just something that was, this had to be done by hand. They find in the imperfections what sets it apart. Yeah, three out of 10. But that's what makes you the masterpiece. That's what gives God the opportunity to work in and through your life. No image on its own is perfect, but it's enough, no image in its own is enough to, to fully display the glory of God. But each of us has something to show. And together we paint a really full picture of what the image of God can be. And that's what Paul says as well. We were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. We say, oh, Andy, that's easy for you to say. You know, you're a preacher. You've been a preacher for decades. And you're a missionary that goes all over the world. Three out of ten, folks. That's me. That's who I am. I'm three out of ten. What's your excuse? Right? It's our imperfections that set it apart. But this is our purpose in, in life. God designed you to be his image. He's idol. Turn to the person next to you right now. Out loud, say, I am America's next idol. <laughs> say it. Right. That's what we're saying here. Uh, maybe a little different, a little different. That's not exactly what I'm saying. But it's true. That's your purpose in life is to be the image of God. So quit looking for fulfillment and happiness in your career or stuff or all the other things that we think are so important in our lives and can't figure out why our life hasn't come together. Man, lean in to God. Let God call the shots for a change and see what happens as he creates in you what he began in the very beginning with his image that he put in you. All right, one last passage. This one's in Psalm 145. A little bit longer, um, but, but uh, 
I think you'll catch on together with this one. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. They will speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They will tell of the power of your awesome works and I will proclaim your great deeds. They will celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. That's great psalm, That's, I get it. But do you, see, do you see where this fits in here? It's in that one phrase. One generation will commend your works to another. See, that's, that's God's plan. See, one generation becomes the image of God. He creates in us, he does things in us, people see it in us, and the next generation, if they're gonna see God, they're gonna see it in us. They're, they're gonna see that coming through within us. See, we are idols, we are images and that becomes a legacy of faith. It's kind of like this chain that I brought up here. This is actual Mike Elliott's chain. First time I pull it out of the box here. I don't know what he's pulling with this. This is heavy. Um, but I mean, it's a strong thing, right? This is, this is a big, strong piece. And yet it's not just one long thing. You can tow anything with this, goodness. Um, but it's not just one piece. Uh, it's actually a bunch of little pieces put together. You know, the expression, you're only as strong as the weakest link, right? So if one of these links fails, well, then the rest of them would fail as well. I, I, I view this as a picture of, our, of the legacy of faith that we have in, in our, our lives. If you ever tried to read the New Testament, you start in Matthew chapter one. Do you know what that starts with? the genealogy of Christ. So-and-so was the father, so-and-so, and so-and-so was the father. A whole chapter of people you don't know and name, and just repeating, so-and-so was the father. And what in the world? You know, you, that's ruined many of Bible reading plans right there, because they said, I, can't, I don't get this, what is this? Now in the Jewish culture, it was really important for them to kind of have a connection in their lineage and that kind of thing, that was important for them. But, but what I see in that is links in a chain. See, I don't know any of those people. Well, a few of them you know in there, but most of them you don't know those names. I don't know who they are. I don't know their stories. You don't know their stories at all. But if one of those links didn't do its job, no Jesus, no cross, no resurrection, the big story of the Bible gets broken because the link didn't do its work. It wasn't the image. Now some of those are heroes and some of those are great, but some of those are just ordinary people that got up and went to work every day and just were the image of God that God called them to be. That's not asking you to be a hero. He's not asking you to be the one. Maybe you will be. Maybe your story's one of those great stories. Good, I wanna hear your story. But God says there's plenty of ordinary stories in there that make you who you are. We gotta recognize there's links behind us and there's links beyond us. You know, I look at my story, here's my story right here. I'm somewhere in the middle here somewhere, I guess. I got things in front of me. There's a lot of stuff that's going on in my life, but I look back on that chain and think, look at all the different pieces that were in that chain. 
I mean, there's my great-grandfather, Benjamin. He's a poor uh, Virginia farmer, but he had faith. That's really as far back as I go or know of the stories of is my great-grandfather, Benjamin Sims. He's a poor farmer. He, he, they were so poor that they had one pair of shoes for the kids. I think it's eight kids, eight, ten kids, something like that. That they, One pair of shoes, the kids would take turns. What, which week was their week to wear, wear uh, shoe, shoes to church? <laughs> they were excited. That's my week to wear shoes. I get to go to church. They walk for five miles to get to the closest uh, church. Sometimes they'd take the, the cart, but most of the time they'd save that for the work during the week because that's all they had. So they'd walk, they'd get up hours ahead of time. So they'd get there in time, all those kids in tow. He got up every day and lived a simple life. Now my grandfather was one of those kids that used to switch out the shoes. My grandfather, Alfred Sims, was a church planter all throughout the South in, in Florida and in Virginia and Tennessee and Atlanta and Pennsylvania. He planted churches all over the place. And, and, and then there's my my. Dad and his family, my, my Uncle Harold was a missionary in Japan for 50 years. Uh, my Uncle Ralph was a, a minister for 40 years down in Johnson City, Tennessee. My dad was a uh, vice president of Cincinnati Bible College and worked in trained leaders all the way through that. All those were links in my chain. That's not the only links. There's my grandma on my mom's side. Schmar's Dress Shop in Aurora, Ohio. Any of you old enough to remember that? That's my grandma. She owned that shop. And if you needed a dress and had, were poor, she'd give it to you. She helped so many people, just nobody knew that. She would, she would have parties at Christmas time for the old people. She was 80. She'd have parties for 65-year-olds because <laughs> they didn't have anybody to be with that. That was my grandma. That's a huge link in my chain. There's people here in this room that are links in my chain. People like John and Sheila Hobson, Anita Cartwright. Some of you remember her? Jane Alexander had a big influence on our family. Heck, you look in here, I think Dave Eisenman and Eldon Fancher might even be on here somewhere. <laughs> Can you believe that? They're in here. They're all, they're all pieces of the story. Now, I got people now beyond my chain. There are people in countries all around the world that I'm throwing my life into because I want them to have a chain. I want to make them strong. My question to you is, who's on your chain? I'm sure that you can begin to name some people on the front end of your chain. Who's next? Who's the people behind you that you're making a difference? Who are you the image of God for? That's why you were created. That's how you fit into the story of God. Don't worry about all the rest. Don't get lost in all the rules and all that stuff. Let's just stick with the simple truth. The simple story is that God wants to use you as a link in people's chain. And it might not be who you expect. It might not be you even realize it. But you're doing it. Lean into that. Let God use you. Let him transform you into his likeness. Be who God created you 
to be. I want to pray with you. God, I don't know what everyone's life is about. I don't know their story. I don't know their brokenness. I don't know the things that are going on within them. All I know, God, is what you created them to be. God, would you give each person here a sense of that purpose and being and direction? Give them the full knowledge of who you want them to be and what you think about them today. God, right now, we need to get beyond the three out of 10. We need to get beyond all the reasons and excuses that we say that we can't be what you've called us to be, what you've created us to be. We just need to surrender to you. Give us courage, God. Erase the self-image and replace it with the God image in each of our hearts and minds today. God, make a difference in our community, in our families, in our world, because finally people start to see you in simple and ordinary people just like us. God, I pray it all in the name of Jesus. Thanks for joining in with us today. We hope that you were blessed by this message and that you were drawn deeper in faith with Jesus. If you have any questions or want to continue the conversation, please feel free to email us at info at Thanks for the listen and have a great day.